0: Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you this morning. Um, So, today we are carrying on our Big Topics series, and this is kind of the second bit of that two-parter. So, last week Nathan talked about Penal Substitution Atonement. PSA, for short, might use that today. Um, And today I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what how else can we understand the cross? Why did Jesus die is the question, but the with asking that and so we're saying, if it wasn't penal substitution atonement theory, why did Jesus die? And just as a quick recap, for those who weren't here last week, um, penal substitution atonement theory is, is a relatively new theory of the cross in the context of the history of the church. It's not always been the church's understanding. Um, And the basic understanding of PSA is that humankind is inherently sinful. There's a huge chasm between us and God caused by our sin. This chasm can only be crossed by someone paying the price for sin, which is death. So Jesus takes God's judgment or punishment for our sin and dies on the cross as a sacrifice for us. And last week, Nathan explained that this is not the only w- way of understanding the cross and laid out some of the problems with this understanding of why Jesus died. So today we're following on from that by talking about some different understandings of that question. Why did Jesus die? Um, and I guess I want to start start by talking a little bit about my own journey with this question Um, because it's actually only relatively recently that I started thinking about this question differently. I was very much brought up on Penal Substitution Atonement, PSA, and I didn't question it until just a few years ago. So it's really quite recent for me. Um, And I don't know whether that means that I never heard of a different way of understanding the cross in my 40-something years of being brought up in a Christian family and going to church a lot, or whether I just didn't listen properly or take it in when people did talk about it differently, it's quite possible that I just didn't listen very well. Um, But when I did first start hearing people talk about the fact that penal substitution isn't the only or best way of understanding why Jesus died on the cross, my brain was a bit blown. I have to be honest. I did go what really? I like everyone's always told me that's what I thought why that's what I believed in that's what I thought was the basis of the Christian faith. How can you tell me that's not right? That's a bit weird so um you know, I'd spent forty years or so not not even knowing there was a different way, and yet, at the same time, there was a part of me that said. Actually, yes, of course, there was something in deep inside that felt that I'd always been a little bit uncomfortable with it, even though I think my head had never quite acknowledged that. Um, it's a bit of me that said, if God is love and loves me, why is he angry with me? Why does he demand death to pay for sin? If God created the world, why did he create it that way? Why did he make it so that somebody had to die for sin? It didn't feel very loving. But uh, it, it was also a bit of a scary moment. Was it okay to think about this differently? If I started thinking this through, was I going to end up throwing everything away? Um and I was I gonna be going against like the basics and fundamentals of the Christian faith? So I did a really sensible thing. And I am really lucky that I've got some people in my family who have studied theology. So I thought that's the place to go. So I went and asked, I was a little bit nervous. I thought, are my family gonna think that I've completely gone off the rails? She's gone to Hull and now she's gone off the rails. But actually, um, they said, yeah, of course, APSA isn't a great way of understanding things. It's been widely accepted and understood that it's flawed for a really long time. Um, So, big sigh of relief. I was like, phew, I haven't completely gone off the rails. But then, of course, my next question, natural question was, so why did Jesus die? Why? What's the answer? And, um, that's when I discovered it's not quite so simple because there isn't a black and white answer. There isn't, I haven't found a black and white one simple formulaic answer to this question. And part of this, I think, is that we want a black and white answer, don't we? Um, And there are different theories. There are different theories, you know, in the same way as PSA is a theory of atonement. There are different theories, but, um, Personally, I don't think it's necessarily that helpful to replace one theory with another theory, um, and so in the in the few years since starting to think differently, you know, I have searched out different theories and explanations. So Christus Victor, for example, is in another theory that talks about Jesus on the cross winning the battle against the forces of powers of evil. Or there's an idea that scapegoats explain that all human society has needed a scapegoat to take the blame for evil. Jesus gave himself to be the innocent scapegoat to satisfy humankind's need to have someone to take the blame. It's just two examples. There are lots of others. And some of these have been helpful for me. And some of them have been less helpful. They just still haven't felt right. Um, but I think I've come to a place now where I, I do feel a li- I understand a little bit more. But the, it's one of those, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know, isn't it? Um, and I also, I think that I have a greater appreciation of the mystery of the cross the fact there are lots of different aspects to the cross, and it speaks to us each of us in different ways at different times. So, some of what I'm going to talk to, some of what I'm going to talk about today is based on a book called Windows on the Cross by Tom Smale. And I think that phrase, windows on the cross, is a really good and helpful one, as there are lots of different ways of looking at, gazing at the cross, and they can each bring meaning and understanding and bring us closer to God. And that's also how we need to think about the different passages in the Bible that talk about the cross. They each use different metaphors, different pictures to help us to understand a part of the whole using things they and their audience were used to, like the Roman law court or the Jewish temple or the Greek slave markets. They're all pictures and metaphors that help us to understand the the overall picture. There have been thousands of books written about the cross, and that's a sign that it's both important and also that we don't understand it all, and that's okay. So I'm coming today to share some ideas, some windows that we can look through to help us to understand the cross, but not to even attempt to suggest that this is everything or that I understand everything. This is a lifetime's journey for each of us as we learn more about God and learn to trust and connect with them more. So this morning I'm going to talk about three different windows so th- or three different themes three different ways that we can look none of these are complete pictures each of them just give us a part of their overall meaning a part of a way of understanding so I'm going to talk about how the cross brings freedom how Jesus shares in our suffering on the cross and how it brings reconciliation. And then I'm also gonna talk briefly about the resurrection as without the resurrection, the cross feels maybe a bit meaningless. Jesus is just another radical who died rather than God who turned the world upside down through his death and resurrection. So that's where we're going. So the first window, if you like, the first theme, freedom. And it feels like a really good place to start with this is um, Luke four. So this is what Jesus said right at the beginning of his ministry about why he was here. So Luke four, verse 18 says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is Jesus' manifesto. It's what he sets out right at the beginning. It's what he's saying, this is what I'm here for. And the things we've seen in that is release to the captives, letting the oppressed go free. There's freedom in what Jesus is saying right at the beginning but there's history here too as well we've got to look at the history the whole narrative of the bible and we can trace the theme of freedom through the bible starting from the exodus when israel was set free from its captivity in imperial egypt and here we've got jesus right at the beginning of his of his ministry quoting the old testament pro- prophet isaiah talking about freedom so he's linking it back to that history and Jesus at this point in Luke 4 says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So we're linking it through to that big narrative in the Bible of freedom. And there are many ways we can think about that. this freedom. And it might be that we tend to focus on us as individuals. But the story Jesus is part of, the Exodus, Isaiah, Um, through to Jesus' time during the Roman Empire. It's one of empire and oppression of groups of people. If we look at what Jesus talked about and did in his lifetime, we can see his interest in people who are oppressed, who are poor, who are marginalised. So the freedom Jesus brings is about freedom for our communities and in societies as well as for us as individuals. I was reading um, some things that James Cone has written. He's a black American liberation theologian. And he talks about the fact that the cross isn't good news for powerful people, for people who are happy with the way things are. The cross is about change, isn't it? If you're happy with the way things are, it's not good news for you. The cross is good news for people who are seeking liberation and new life. In the sort of words that we might read in the Bible, the cross is good news for people who are the least of these, the unwanted in society. That's who the good news is for. And if we look at Jesus's life, Jesus lived his life as a radical. He turned the normal rules of society upside down and challenged the way things were done. He challenged the Roman Empire and power structures during his life. And it was no different when he died. It was under Roman rule he died and he challenged them in the process. So when people were expecting a conquering hero using violence to win a battle, Jesus turned the idea that violence can change the world on its head, taking the violence on himself instead. I don't think the Romans were expecting that. The Roman Empire wasn't really set up expecting that. I also don't think it's a coincidence that the crucifixion, being crucified, was the punishment for for runaway slaves in the time of Jesus. That tells us something as well. It brings home that imagery that where Jesus is beating death on the cross, he's bringing freedom from slavery. The cross couldn't hold him. This brings freedom. Um, I read a blogger called Sarah Moon say, if we're to find liberation in the crucifixion, then the cross must stand as a middle finger to oppressive power structures, which might be a slightly controversial way of putting it, but it does tell us the truth, right? That the cross challenges power, it challenges violence and oppression in society, and it brings freedom for our communities. There's something in that, it feels meaningful. We can also find the freedom freedom relevant for us as individuals as well. So we can find this in what Jesus says directly about his death. So in Matthew's account of the Last Supper, when Jesus gives his disciples bread and wine and talks about his forthcoming death, in Matthew 26, he says, "'For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.'" And the word used here that's translated as forgiveness is aphesis, which means release. So Jesus is saying he plans to die to release us from the sin that ties us down. Now let's just think and link that to how Paul talks about sin in Romans 7. He talks about sin as the things he does that he doesn't want to do. He talks about us being slaves to sin, There's something about human nature that we end up being trapped in doing things we know aren't right or aren't helpful for us, and yet we keep on doing them. So we can read Jesus as saying in Matthew that his death is to release us from that, to end the trap, to give us a way out. And there are other passages that describe that as well. So in John 8, Jesus talks about how we are slaves to sin. But if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So a helpful theme for us when we're thinking about the cross is to think about how it brings freedom. Freedom for us as individuals, as we struggle with the things we do that we know we shouldn't or don't want to, and also a way to A way to freedom from the powers and systems in the world that bring oppression, poverty, slavery, all of that bad stuff. So the second theme we're going to look at today is the idea that Jesus died to carry our suffering and shame as well as to bring that freedom from sin. Now I was on some Oasis training a couple of weeks ago and they showed a video of an exercise that was taken place in a maximum security prison in the US. There were over 200 pr- prisoners in a really big circle um, and these were prisoners who had committed some of the worst offences um, and they, this, they had this really big circle and the, there was a woman leading the exercise and she called out, If in the first 18 years of your life, you were regularly sworn at and put down, take a step inside the circle. And almost everyone did. And then if you felt that no one in your family loved you or cared for you, if a parent or other adult in your household regularly hit or threw something at you, if you grew in extreme poverty, this circle gradually got smaller and smaller and smaller as the people who had committed some of the worst crimes were saying, yes, I grew up in extreme poverty. I, um, I, I was hit as a child. I didn't feel my family loved me. It got smaller and smaller. It gets you thinking, doesn't it? The world is complicated. We hurt each other. And we each carry hurt and shame because of what others have done, what others have said to us. So the idea that the cross is all about what we've done wrong, our sin, doesn't seem quite so straightforward, does it? Because there's a bit of a loop there. It's complex, it's not straightforward. We carry the result of sin by others in us as well as doing wrong ourselves. And this idea is also something that feminists have um, used to critique some of the traditional understandings of the cross. So saying that these traditional understandings, it's too easy to portray a paternalistic view of God. um, That God is holy and righteous and punishes his victim can, if you think of it wrongly, give freedom to abusers to punish their victims or for victims to feel that their abuse is acceptable. So if we think of domestic uh, domestic abuse situations, it can lead to people feeling trapped because um, if there's something about punishment going on for people that are doing wrong, how do we break out of that? So maybe some of these ways of thinking aren't, that helpful, but there is another way of looking at it. So by looking at the cross as the time when God in Jesus has got involved, has been active, when Jesus shares in our suffering. On the cross, Jesus' self-giving love meant that he experienced the shame and suffering of a victim, of a slave, of a marginalized or excluded person. Jesus shares in our suffering. Jesus experienced suffering on the cross. On the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's probably something we can all relate to at some point. we probably all at some point thought, where's God in this? This is hard. Where's God in this? On the cross, Jesus identifies experiences the same as people who feel abandoned by God. So this feels relevant and important when we look at suffering in the world. And other people who have thought like this, so two examples, Jürgen Moltmann, who's a German theologian who lived through World War II, he makes a comparison between the cross and a Jewish boy hanged at Auschwitz. So Maltman says that God was hanging with the boy on the gallows. Maltman was saying that God suffers with those who suffer. And James Cone, who I also mentioned earlier, makes a similar comparison between the lynching tree in the US used to punish black slaves and the cross. So on the cross, Jesus took up the existence of a slave and died the slave's death. So God was present with Jesus on the cross and God was present with everyone lynched in the US. God was with those innocent people and claimed their suffering as his own. So we can see that God was with Jesus on the cross and he's with us in our suffering and also that he gives us hope. After sharing the misery and pain, we see new life and hope through the resurrection, which brings healing. So this window on the cross allows us to see that Jesus understands and shares in our suffering and shame and our feelings of being abandoned, and through the cross brings a route to healing. Okay, third theme: reconciliation. It's a roller coaster, isn't it? Sorry about that. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff to cover. Um, so the third theme to talk about is reconciliation, and I guess it's quite easy when we talk about reconciliation to fall into talking as if God is completely separate from Jesus, as if those are two completely different people, and it's Jesus who reconciles us to God on the cross. Jesus brings um, that Jesus. Um, brings God back to us. And this is what Nath was talking about last week with PSA, the idea that God is angry with us and Jesus reconciles him to us by taking our punishment. It's something to think about quite closely and carefully, I think. as when we look carefully at reconciliation, we'll see that the Bible talks about how Jesus reconciles us to God. It's not about bringing God to us. It's about bringing us to God. It's humankind to have gone away from God, not the other way around. God didn't leave us. It's Jesus bringing us back to God. Um, And there's a few passages where you can read it that way. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is one. So verses 18 and 19 say, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So reconciliation is important. It's about us coming back to God. It's really important for us to get this the right way around. So God's will to forgive is not the result of the cross, but the motivation for the cross. Jesus didn't die to change God's mind about us, but to change our minds about God. The cross doesn't reveal so much what God does, but who God is. God is love. So when we think about reconciliation and the cross, it speaks to us of the extent of God's love and how far God is willing to go to show that love. And it shows us how far God will go to restore relationship with us, how Jesus brings us to God. So if we imagine... What's it like when there's someone we love that's a long way away? Maybe the relationship is broken. Maybe there's a really big distance between us and someone we love. Um, Maybe there's things that have been said that have put a barrier in the way of the relationship. There's hurt there. It feels really hard. If we want to do something to fix this, what do we do? So we know we love that person. We want to restore relationship. What do we do? What would your advice be to someone in that situation? What would you say to them? Would you say, send them a text, send them a WhatsApp? Or would you say, we need to talk face to face. This is not a WhatsApp conversation. We need to talk face to face. We can't do this remotely. So this is one way of thinking about what God has done. When things have become, come between us and God, he sent his son to earth to be face to face, showing the extent of his love and how far he was willing to go because of that love. Even knowing that when Jesus came to meet humankind, he wouldn't be respected. He wouldn't be treating well. treated well. So God said to Jesus, go meet people face to face. That's what we need. But he knew that we weren't going to be nice. We weren't going to play well. <laughs> we were not going to respect Jesus. And ultimately, that he would be killed as a troublemaker, as a radical. And despite knowing that, Jesus still went. God loves us so much that he still came to us knowing how dangerous it would be. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's about love, that starting point. That's such a famous verse, isn't it? But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's that motivation of love. So thinking about reconciliation in the cross, it's about how the cross restores our relationship with God, brings us back to God. It opens the way for us to come back to God. Because of God's love, he is always there, always forgiving, always ready for us to return. Think of those really um, famous um, parables that Jesus told, the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. All of those stories that Jesus told, they're about God's love and forgiveness, that they're there and available for all, that God is searching for us. He goes out and he's looking for the coin. He's looking for his son. He's there waiting with open arms. And perhaps... The challenge of thinking about reconciliation in this way, if we take it one step further, is that when we're reunited through love, it doesn't stop there, does it? If we think about our own relationships, we then need to find a new way of living together through forgiveness, acceptance, a new way of life, a new way of living in community and together So we need to find a way to practice reconciliation in our relationships, in community and society in general. So reconciliation also leads to change and transformation as we aim to remain reconciled, remain in relationship with God and with others. And this leads us into the final section to think about resurrection. The imagery of resurrection points to that idea of new life, doesn't it? Of being reborn, of transformation. And the cross doesn't hold its power and meaning if we look at it without looking at the resurrection, how Jesus died and then came back to life. Not least because in the time of Jesus, there were lots of radicals, there were lots of people who called themselves the Messiah and who claimed to be prophets and to talk on God's behalf. There were lots of people who died horrible deaths, who died on a cross. And since Jesus' time, there have been many people who have sacrificed themselves for others. But with Jesus, we're looking at how he died and then rose again, how he gave hope by showing showing there's new life, there is transformation. So where on the cross Jesus soaked in all the violence, destruction, bad, bad relationships, evil in the world, in his resurrection he showed this is not the end, it can be driven away, the world can be different. So with only the cross we're looking at defeat, with the resurrection we're looking at new life. And because resurrection means Jesus is alive, it also means our faith is not based on reading a history book, but is alive and real for us today as we build a relationship with the risen Jesus. So in summary, the cross is all about love, how God loves us so much and takes action on that love. It's not about God being distant and Jesus needing to bring God to us. It's about how humankind have distanced ourselves from God and Jesus finds us and brings us back to God. God was always here, has always had his arms open to us. As in the prodigal son, God has his arms open wide, ready to accept us. On the cross, Jesus soaked up all the pain, suffering, injustice caused by the breakdown of our relationship with God, and in doing so, demonstrated the lengths God's love will go to restore that relationship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So those who suffer and those who cause suffering are all encircled in God's love, a love that will stop at nothing, On the cross, Jesus turned the world upside down, showing the power of love over violence, forgiveness over revenge, meekness over arrogance. And that means it transforms us. It transforms our world, our society, us as individuals, and gives us a new way of being, a new way of living, one full of radical love, radical forgiveness, and a life at one with God. So, for each of us, different meanings of the cross will be more relevant at different times. So, let's just take a pause. I know I've just given lots and lots of information. So, let's just take a pause. Take a moment to think what's meaningful for me today? What do I want to hear from God today? Do I want to reflect on the healing power of the cross? On how Jesus bears my scars as he carries his own wounds? Do I want to reflect on how the cross brings me freedom? Or how the cross brings me closer to God and transforms me? Or do I want to reflect on how the cross speaks into the situation in Israel and Palestine, into poverty and oppression? Let's just take a moment to reflect what stands out for us in this moment. And let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that your love is never ending. It's all encompassing. That it stretches as far as your willingness to die, to turn the world upside down, to bring freedom, to bring transformation, to share in our suffering. Help us to enter into the mystery of the cross, to stand in awe and wonder at its depth of meaning and to enjoy the adventure of discovering more of the hidden meanings of the cross that make a difference for each of us in our lives today. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.